Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that harkens back to the good old days of... Avon Calling. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, who is just barely old enough to remember Avon and uh, and the, uh, remember the perfume, the, the men's cologne that used to come in a pipe-shaped bottle? Yeah, remember those days? <laughs> uh, I do, barely, just barely, just, just barely. So in Pipe Parts, uh, this week we have an article about a recent discovery of uh, tobacco from uh, tobacco seeds from about 12,000 years ago. My guest is Jeremy Reeves, the head blender of Cornell and Deal, and he's going to talk about the launch of the the Cornell and Deal Small Batch Carolina Red Flake with Perique that is launching at uh, midnight Eastern time, so... uh, for those of you that are early listeners, that's about four hours from now, and uh, we we get we get really uh, geeky in tobacco. So, so between the uh, between the article that I'm going to read in Pipe Parts and the discussion with Jeremy, this is going to be ultra geeky tobacco deep heavy stuff. Uh, and then uh, music mailbag and rant. And uh, again, I'm catching up on the mailbag. So thank you all for all those cards and letters that you've been sending in. Um, but yeah, in case you're uh, in case you're not old enough to remember. So uh, Avon was a door to door kind of a multi-level marketing kind of thing where, you know, every it seemed like every neighborhood had an Avon lady and uh a lot of the uh, colognes and uh, perfumes came in collectible bottles or glass bottles and stuff like that. And uh, some of the men's colognes actually came in pipe-shaped bottles because, you know, that's what men smoked. So uh, if you see a glass bottle that looks like it's a, uh, a pipe, well, that's probably not that funny kind of pipe. It's actually a glass. Uh, it's actually an old Avon bottle. Um, and Avon used to go door to door and they'd ring your doorbell. And if you weren't there, they'd leave you this wonderful color catalog that Avon would sell to the Avon reps. So anyway, uh, that was the, you know, just the good old days. All right, let's get the show rolling. Everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in. And here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corn Cob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corn cob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, all right, here in Pipe Parts, uh, thank you to uh, Doctor of Pipes and uh, Richmond Pipe Club founder uh, Linwood Hines for forwarding this to me. Uh, This is from the BBC News. And the article says, uh, humans used used, uh, tobacco 12,300 years ago, seeds suggest. And this is from October 12th. 
the article reads, four charred tobacco plant seeds found in an ancient Utah fireplace suggest early Americans may have been using the plant 12,300 years ago. The findings make the first known use of tobacco some 9,000 years earlier than previously thought. Researchers believe hunter-gatherers in the Great Salt Lake Desert may have sucked and smoked wads of the plant. Uh, until now, the earliest evidence of tobacco use was a 3,300-year-old smoking pipe discovered in Alabama. Archaeologists discovered the millimeter-wide seeds at the Wishbone site, uh, Wishbone site, an ancient camp in the desert in what is now northern Utah. There they found the remnants of an ancient hearth that was surrounded by bone and stone artifacts. These included duck bones, stone tools, and a spear tip bearing the remains of blood from a mammoth or an early form of elephant. Uh, their findings suggest the Native American hunter-gatherers may have consumed the tobacco while cooking or tool-making. The scientists say in a paper published in the journal Nature Human Behavior. The tobacco plant is native to the Americas and contains the psychoactive addictive substance nicotine. Tobacco was widely cultivated and dispersed around the world following the arrival of Europeans in the Americas at the end of the 15th century. The tobacco seeds were the big surprise. They are incredibly small and rare to be preserved. Uh, Darren Duke of the Far Western Anthropological Research Group told the New Scientists. Uh, this suggests that people learned the intoxicant properties of tobacco relatively early in their time here, rather than only with domestication and agriculture thousands of years later. Today, the Great Salt Lake Desert is a large dry lake, but 12,300 years ago, the camp would have been on a, on a vast marshland. We know, uh, we know very little about their culture, Mr. Duke said, of the hunter-gatherers. The thing that intrigues me the most about this find is the social window it gives to a simple activity in an undocumented past. My imagination runs wild. Yeah, so there you go. 12,300 years ago, uh, first of all, there were elephants in Utah, uh, and, uh, and there were tobacco seeds. Uh, no proof of the actual plant, but if there were seeds, there must have been plants. Uh, no proof of uh, how they used it. So maybe it was, uh, you know, maybe it was burned or you know, just burned in a fire and inhaled over the fire because there was no proof of that. Uh, but again, you know, science is coming around and finding stuff and it was nice to see that you know there was only a little bit of a slant against tobacco in here all right we're going to do a shortened pipe parts because my discussion with jeremy reeves gets uh, really long and really geeky so we've got that coming up so stay with stay with us we'll be back in just a minute this is internet radio have a look in your tobacco cellar what do you see think of what you smoke what you age what you're drawn to in a blend that keeps you wanting more. That's your taste. And whether you know it or not, you've been leading that expedition since you first picked up a pipe. Just by smoking what you like and liking what you smoke. But the funny thing about taste, it changes. And you need a wide selection to accommodate it. 
We at Smoking Pipes know this, and you know it too. So whether you're searching for a tried and true favorite, or a singular boutique mixture, we're here to help you navigate the voyage of your evolving tastes. But you're still at the helm. Smoking Pipes, in faithful service of the hobby. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and this is exceedingly timely. Exceedingly timely because this show comes out at 8 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday night. And in four hours, in four hours, we have the release of the newest edition of the Carolina Red Flake with Perique. And we all know how I love Perique, so um, it should be the carolina uh, well it should be perique with carolina red flake but that's just me so don't don't do that but uh joining us is the uh is the head blender the man behind the curtain of the carolina red flake uh jeremy reeves jeremy welcome back to the pipes magazine radio show oh thank you so much brian it's great to be here all right so so yes the carolina red flake with perique the Pariki version is uh, uh-huh. com- is is releasing at um, midnight Eastern time, which is technically Wednesday morning, and uh, that's going to be on October twentieth. Uh, right. So we've got four hours to sit by and wait and hit refresh and hit refresh. Uh, <laughs> let's let's go back and uh, I don't think we've ever done this, but I really want to deep dive into. So the so start start us off quickly with the beginning of the small batch series. Sure. So the idea of the series really was born out of uh, us us trying to trying to innovate, trying to um, you know, do, do some new things as, as a company in terms of, in terms of approaches to our own product. And so we wanted to really kind of, kind of create a line of tobaccos that, uh, sort of signified our ethos as a company Uh and everything that we make, uh, is made in, in truly small batches. Um, (laughs) I know that, I know that now, you know, we're, we're talking about Carolina red flake releases or Carolina red flake with Perique releases that are in the, uh, many thousands of tens. But when I say, when I say that everything that C and D makes is, has always been in small batches going back to 1992, Craig and Patty would make two ounces of a blend for a customer who called and asked for it and they would package it up and they would mail it to him. <laughs> um, and you know, when, when now, even when we have products that pop up on the purchase order from our distributor, um, which, which is what guides what we make, we may be making, you know, 50 pounds of something or, or 25 pounds of something or 10 pounds of something. It depends on, on what is called for, but we produce lots of products in small batches and 
produce them regularly throughout the year. It is a it is a very labor intensive and and hands on approach. We do not have uh, you know big blending silos. We're not making thousands of pounds of <laughs> you know a handful of products and and then packaging those things and selling them over the course of the next several years until we have to turn the machines on again. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a very small craft approach where we produce everything in small batches, more akin to like a, a microbrewery or a micro distillery. So that was kind of the impetus for the idea of the small batches that we wanted to put something together that uh, really took this idea of the, the ala minuto approach that our whole company and our whole brand was about with everything that we made and really make it um, even even more craft, even more special, even even more of the moment with a a special selection of unique varietals or uh, a special approach to a particular blending uh, style or, or construction and really provide something that was limited and that was us us being really really us so that was kind of where the small batch idea came from so just for comparison when i worked at peter stokeby we wouldn't turn on the factory unless we were making four thousand pounds of a blend right four four thousand four thousand pounds is sixty four thousand ounces so yeah so that's that's why it's a small batch uh and, and let, let, let's talk about the red flake in particular because i mean it's obviously i mean these are carolina grown red tobaccos that are natural uh, a a naturally occurring phenomenon here in the carolinas if i understand it correctly that's correct um so you know the the virginia leaf um can produce uh, a lot of different color gradients uh from very very bright gold what what people on the tobacco side refer to as lemon yeah. um to kind of a a bright orange um to a darker orange veering into red to a true red, to a red veering into mahogany, <laughs> um, and and on into what what we really call smoke and leaf, which is a a deep, rich mahogany, um, and and the Carolina Red Flake is a blend of red orange red and mahogany leaf um and i was i was not anticipating when when the idea for carolina red flag happened it happened totally out of the blue i was trying to uh i was trying to go through a smoking panel a tasting panel of a number of different uh red and darker virginias um to find 
the next lot of tobacco that we were going to set aside to be used for our, our main red Virginia production. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I had, I believe I had a, uh, a smattering of samples across 10 different styles and grades of red and, and mahogany Virginias. And one of them was this this grade, this L2DH 15 grade that was a was a possible contender to be the the main red for for our production needs, um, not just for a particular product, but for almost everything that called for Red Virginia. And when I smoked it, and I actually did the sampling with Keith Tony too. <laughs> um, when when Keith and I sat down and smoked this, um, we both were really struck by this the the flavor and this really interesting sort of character that this leaf had, and we both agreed that compared to compared to what we typically were using for Red Virginia that we were trying to match, this wasn't that but that this was too special not to do something with. And that was where the idea of Carolina red flake came from was, was really just showcasing this one particular, uh, this one particular very special crop of North Carolina red and, and mahogany Virginias. Now let, let's back up a minute. So when you get these samples, this is from your, from the sources that you, the, the tobacco cutters or processors or, whatever that's right it's not like you're driving down the road hopping into farms and plucking leaves off or yeah no no it's not i uh i wish i wish that my my job was quite that romantic (laughs) um but the reality is that uh if we were totally locked in to direct to farm relationships we would we would be on the hook for commissioned crops whether the end result crop was what we needed or wanted or not and that's not that's not a great relationship for us to have with a with a supplier and that's not a great relationship for a supplier to have with us or or with any other customer that they might have either that it's it's way better for the variety available and for the specific needs of us as a as a tobacco manufacturer to be able to work with a middleman who can manage relationships with lots of different farms yeah and who can source not only leaf for specific customers but customers for specific leaf yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? Both yeah. ways. So that so that if one farm doesn't produce what I need, that's not the end of the the end of the supply options for me. There's literally a whole world of tobacco growers out there that I have access to through a through a wholesaler. And the wholesaler can also work with these farms to get the best money for what they did produce for that Precisely. year so it works out good for everybody uh, that's right now what 
if you can, can you tell us all right, what was so special and different? What did you notice in this in this one mahogany that was just completely different? What did I mean? Did like fireworks go off and little angels start singing or? <laughs> well, I mean, close to that. Honestly, I I still recall the like when when Keith and I. Um, you know, I asked him to join me on this because this was early on in, in uh, my my beginnings at at Cornell and Deal as as head blender. And one of the things that was now a responsibility of mine was sourcing all the tobacco that we would use to produce our products. And I had never done any of this before. <laughs> Um, you know, I have, I have, uh, I believe a, a very good palate and I, and I believe that I have a, a good understanding and knowledge of, of tobacco, but you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like <laughs> foolhardy, uh, <laughs> yeah. to think that I would, to think that I would just, you know, okay, fine. Well, I'll sit down and smoke all this stuff and make this decision that is truly mine to make in a vacuum. <laughs> and so Keith, um, was somebody that whose palate I trusted and whose previous experience as an employee at, at Cornell and deal was something that I trusted. And, and he was just, you know, a, a good friend and he was there and available. And I asked him if he would, if he would kind of help me go, go through these tobaccos and we could bounce ideas off one another and, and make sure that we were tasting similar things. But I still recall the look that he and I shared the moment that we lit up this particular, this particular lot of Virginia, we both were like, Oh man, this is, (laughs) huh? It was, it was definitely sweet and mellow but there was a there was a characteristic flavor that i don't find commonly in in lots of different kinds of of virginia and i've smoked virginia from brazil i've smoked virginia uh grown from the the northern tip of florida all the way up into Virginia and I've smoked some friends tobaccos that, that were grown in non-traditional tobacco growing regions as well that were, that were flu cured type. Um, <laughs> but I've never outside of this particular lot experienced something that was so decisively rye <laughs> in its flavor. It was, it was rye whiskey and rye grain and rye bread, um, all of these kinds of things just kind of like kept coming up in, in my mind and the way I was thinking about the flavor that I was getting from this from this tobacco. And it was just so delightfully special and different. And uh, so Keith and I both agreed that this was not going to be um, – A, there wasn't very much of it available, so it wasn't a good leaf – source to try and use for our regular production there just wasn't enough of it to to make a dent in that um even even back then and and as our production numbers have have grown over the past several years it it certainly wouldn't be enough to meet our needs but beyond that the the leaf 
flavor was too unique um, to be a good match to the Red Virginia that we were using to produce all of these other well-established blends. But, but like I say, it was just so unique and so special. It was, it was something that we both wanted to do something with. And so I took the rest of the, the sample and actually processed it and pressed it into a cake for a couple of weeks and then cut it into flake and then split it between me and Keith. So (laughs) I have, I have roughly three pounds and he has roughly three pounds of the original, original Carolina red flake from that five pound sample that he and I were just sampling pipefuls from to establish whether or not it was something that was going to be our go-to grade for red Virginia for that, for that season. All right. We're going to take a break right here because I need to wipe the drool off of my face and um, <laughs> probably get a cold drink and uh, smoke a cigarette. Cause I feel like I just got <laughs> worked over a little bit and excited. Um, we'll, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more with Jeremy in just a minute. The Carolinas and the tobacco tradition have been woven together generation after generation. From the Blue Ridge Mountains to the coastal low country, it's an integral part of our culture and heritage, building our beautiful tapestry. Cornell and Deal is proud to blend our pipe tobaccos in the Carolinas. Our history with tobacco dates back to the mid-1800s, and in that time we've perfected a variety of blends. The Carolinas have given us the perfect backdrop to do just that. Whether you're a fan of the rich Virginias, bold Latakias, spicy Pariques, or unique aromatics, we've got a tobacco that's just right for your discerning taste buds. At Cornell and Deal, we live all things pipe tobacco, blending it, smoking it, and enjoying the company of those who share our excitement. Tobacco, it's what we do. Stop by CornellAndDeal.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with the head blender, who's now got... My mouth is still salivating, Jeremy. Thank you. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) But I also feel for you because you also have to smoke samples that are just absolutely miserable and burn your face off and put hair on the back of your feet just by smoking it. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, all right. I, I've gotten even, I feel better now. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so that was what, 2014, 15, when you got that first, uh, the, the first batch. Actually, that was in 2016, uh, early, early 2016. Um, and the, the, the grade, the L2DH, 015 grade was 015 2015 all right. all right so how do you go for so now you're now you you introduce the one and then you're gonna you think all right i'm now are you like you got people out there looking for that specific grade to do it again and again that's right so i uh i actually um what i ended up doing was you know i found the in in another round of sampling i found uh the the leaf grade that we wanted to use for 
our our production but i i told the distributor that that i was that i was uh interested in picking up several cases uh so each case is 440 pounds um several cases of this this particular grade of virginia that i wanted to do something with that was that was going to be special and i wasn't sure what yet so after we did the first run of carolina red flake and it went well um then we we knew that we knew that there was a product there and so we had we had plenty of cases to do uh follow-up follow-up rounds um but we used up the l2dh grade in 2018 and with uh some some trepidation i think uh we we decided that uh we would we would go looking for something similar um to try and continue continue the product well a little thing that is is maybe confusing and this is i know we want to go nerdy but this may be beyond beyond the nerdiness that uh everybody willing to go into everybody get your bow tie and pocket protectors out here we go right exactly uh extra extra masking tape on your glasses oh yeah um so we talk about grading um we talk about you know uh leaf leaf grade and leaf type and things but usually people are talking about the usda grade code and what may not be understood is that lots of manufacturers have their own internal grade codes that don't really follow the the premise of the USDA grade codes. Yep. And we think of grading as being like, you know, A for excellent and F for flipping terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the reality is that kind of like we were talking about before, that um, there is a customer out there that is looking for the particular attributes of a, of a particular type of tobacco and that that particular type of tobacco may not work for a different customer's set of set of attributes that they're mm-hmm. looking for. That's more what's being communicated with with the grading system, and it gets even more convoluted as you get into other manufacturers' grading systems. So, <laughs> one manufacturer may call this this particular grade like the style that we used for Carolina Red Flake, uh, an H4, which would be smoking leaf. And and you think like, oh, well, four, well, that's not good. But top-tier leaf is graded on a number of different factors, and most of those factors are aesthetic. But when you're talking about overripe, red, stout, mature leaf that has been left on the stock in the sun and in the weather longer you're not talking about leaf that is pristine anymore you're talking about to get 
to get that red color and to get these deep flavors that we love in our in our red virginias the leaf gets tattered and beat up and wrinkled and it's not a it's not a beautiful pristine leaf we're talking about when we're talking about red virginia we are talking about a leaf that has been subjected to the elements in order to bring forth this deeper flavor and so it's it's ironic but that red color that you want and the depth of flavor that comes with it comes with a degradation in terms of overall aesthetic beauty does that make sense yeah so it's like a uh I guess it's like when I see these people driving down the street and they're in their jacked up Jeeps with the big wheels and the chrome stuff and it's perfectly clean, you know, it really hasn't done what it's supposed to do. But when you see one that's dirty and dinged up and nasty and mudded, you know, it's done exactly what it's supposed to do. Exactly. Exactly. And it's worn in, right? Like yeah. it's, it's, you, you know what you know what that Jeep is capable of because you put it through its paces and it's really better suited to going through more because the shocks aren't perfectly taut um, so yeah the uh, that's that's a great that's a great sort of parallel you're, I, you're I guess it's also my my normal my my now normal appearance of wrinkled and balding and you know I'm I'm more <laughs> I'm worn in so I'm aging and well, but you yeah. know but you've become more distinguished. Right? Yes. I, I'm, I'm, I may not be coming sweeter, but yeah. <laughs> um, pleasantly bitter. Um, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> With a dry aftertaste. So, so the, the, the grade that the grade that one manufacturer might call an H for another manufacturer might call SM two. And that would be, in the in the USDA grade code, H is the code letter for that red mahogany, that smoking leaf. Um, in an, another manufacturer's parlance, they may just use SM for smoking, and since they already know that they're talking about red mahogany, what what they're considering smoking leaf, they're putting it in in a two category to kind of to kind of denote the level of the level of wear or the level of consistency in the overall batch um and so maybe there's a little bit of brighter leaf in there so it's not sm1 because there's not a hundred percent consistency in the batch but that non-consistency is going to add a little bit more sugar than would be there if it was a straight if it was a straight overripe mahogany leaf does that make sense so the the ups and downs in quote-unquote quality don't necessarily mean that things are bad it just means that things are not 100 percent uh 100 percent homogenous yeah yeah. mother not 100 percent beautiful mother nature is not trained to do exactly what you want her to do every year Exactly. That's exactly right. And so, and so we found a, a grade of leaf that could just as easily have been graded a different way by a different, a different distributor, but was basically the same thing as, as the, the original Carolina red flake just graded differently. The SM2 <laughs> as opposed to L2DH2, which is leaf 
two and D and H dark H dark smoking. Um, so yeah, one, one, one manufacturer called it one thing. One manufacturer called it totally something different, but at the end of the day, it's the same, the same grade, the same color spectrum, the same basic sugar realm and nicotine realm. It, It was the same grade, just called a different thing. And so we were able to offer, uh, a different crop year, but basically, basically something that smoked side by side, pretty much the same. There were slight variations. There were slight differences. The, the sugar had gone down a couple of percent. Um, but overall, this was, this was, again, right in line with what we wanted to do with small batch, which was to offer special, special tobaccos in a unique and special moment in time that wouldn't be available forever. And that would show the differences between crop years and things. Um, and that's why so, you're the head blender because you would screw with us and come out with something that we absolutely love and know that that's all we can get of it. <laughs> so, well, you know, that's, uh, that's part of the fun. So it's then, part of the fun to me of, of working in these small batches. So then you take this product and you go, you know what? There's this guy named Brian Levine who absolutely loves Perique. I'm going to throw, I'm going to do a version of this with Perique just to make him happy, right? Yes. Yeah. That was, you were, you were definitely our target audience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we took, uh, we took the idea of Carolina red flake and added a little, um, a little bit of a, a difference to, uh, to the base of Virginia's, the, the Carolina red flake remained the same. Um, we added a little bit of, of brighter, uh, Canadian leaf along with it. Um, because our ultimate goal was adding, Perique to the mix, and not just any Perique, but a very, very old, forgotten in the back of a warehouse barrel of Perique that was 18 years old, um, <laughs> that had a a really special set of of flavors, and that needed, in order for the blend to work, we needed to find the right. Virginia balance and the, the right base balance to be able to showcase this Perique without overpowering the, the Virginias and to showcase the Virginias without, without them, you know, taking the stage entirely from the Perique. We wanted, we wanted balance in all places. And so part of that was needing to add some, some high sugar bright Virginias from Canada and then finding the right proportions for the Perique as well. So it wasn't just a screw with me. I thought, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, I mean, yes, but also you and those of your ilk. Ah, thank you. We, yes, <laughs> we are an ilk. Uh, now, and, and that's it. And I, I also noticed, you know, I noticed that it's interesting that you wanted that you added and had to tweak the blend, uh, was that so that the Perique would work better, worse, or, you know? 
Yeah, it was so that, uh, like I say, it was so that all of the tobaccos that would be that would be really working together would have the chemistries that they needed to work well with one another. Um, Perique has such a a deep note um, and such a a dark roasted stewed earthy umami kind of flavor and red virginia also kind of veers darker in in its flavors we just needed something to brighten and sweeten um and add a little bit of uh, a citrusy sort of tang to make the overall flavor translate well across your entire palate instead of just focusing all on the middle and the back of your tongue so, you, so they're two distinctive, they're different blends. It's not just one has something else added to it. Right, they're, exactly. They're blended for two particular different reasons and for two distinct differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're releasing 15,000 tins of that now in, uh, I'm guessing, about uh, three hours and 15 minutes. Uh, I'm not counting down at all. uh and i'm doing math in my head here because we're not we're not recording this we're not doing this live uh but how do you determine all right so you said you're you're doing fifteen thousand tins in this release how do you figure out how many tins you're going to release and do you worry about running out and or you know worried about next year well and we haven't even gotten to the the grades that are actually in this year's release because it's totally different we've uh We've taken a different approach to to Carolina Red Flake with Perique this year in terms of components than we did last year. Um, <laughs> Thanks. But the, <laughs> now, the you're, way that, now you're screwing with my head even more. <laughs> well, the way that we determine how many tens to make really has to do with how how much demand it seemed like there was versus how much uh how much clamoring there was um, afterwards for, you know, where can I find some, you know, have you got any more? Like we're basically trying to, trying to get everybody that wants some, the opportunity to, to get some, but the, the components that we're working with are, are in finite, yeah. supply they are you know these are these are not just readily available in large quantity components um and that's not to say that the things that are readily available in larger quantities are not also excellent it's just these are particularly difficult to source special unique tobaccos yeah. um so last year we used the the sm2 grade that you know like i said could easily have been an l2dh grade in in the hands of a different supplier um along with some canadian bright and this 18 year old perique that's all gone all of those things are are used up and gone um Uh. and so in preparation for carolina red flake with perique this year i went searching for for special darker Virginia's brighter Virginia's and Perique and um, 
one of the things that I was able to secure was a very, very special and very unique set of Virginias from one single farm in North Carolina, obviously through a through a distributor, but still this tobacco came entirely from one single farm. The darker Virginias are a tips grade in cigars. You would call this Lajero. Yeah. Um, that's pretty uncommon. Um, and, and the reason is that most flu cured um, Virginia farmers harvest in three primings, but there is one one farmer that this particular uh, leaf dealer deals with that has always done four primings, and he hand harvests the top four or five leaves <laughs> that grow after the after the plant is topped. So after the flowers have been have been burned off or cut off. Um, there is little new growth that that pops up there and that gets direct sunlight and that gets all of the all of the focus of the plant's nutrients after the the rest of the plant has been picked off <laughs> and typically tips grades not only are they very rare um, because they're usually just taken in the last third priming instead of left for their own fourth final priming but they're also really strong, yeah. typically, um, and they don't have typically a lot of sugar. Uh, nicotine and sugar are sort of a, a, a balancing act, a teeter-totter, if you will. And if you've got high sugar, tends to be you've got lower nicotine. But in a unique turn of events, um, I think that this was probably driven mostly by a wetter season, um, a wetter growing season than than is typical um, for the crop year of 2020. This tips grade ended up being really high in sugar, like higher in sugar than the previous Carolina Red Flake iterations, um, which were the first one was 10.8% uh, uh, when we when we transitioned into the SM2 grade, that dropped down to 8.3%. This is at 13.5% as a tips, which is really really rare. That's a that's an extremely high sugar rating for a a dark Virginia in general, and certainly for a darker Virginia that came from the very very top of the plant. And if that's you, it, it's no, it, it, but if so, you, yeah. if you get too high in sugar, you can also get a really hot burning tobacco. Oh yes, yeah, but thirteen percent isn't typically where you're going to see that. I've yeah. seen I've seen bright Virginia from Canada that was thirty six percent. Yeah, um, and that that certainly is a recipe for tongue bite if you don't carefully blend it with other other leaf yeah i mean you can you can cut diamonds with that as a torch <laughs> right <laughs> right so the this tips grade uh ta20 and then also a, a a brighter um lemon and orange uh grade from one of the earlier primings off of this exact same farm um makes up the brighter portion of carolina red flake with perique for this year and then 
obviously there's no more 18 year old Perique available, but uh, I have been working with a, a Perique farmer um, who grows everything uh, right there in St. James Parish. And they, they are processing their own leaf as well. And so from seed to barrel, everything is made by these three men. Um, and uh, I've been going down there and actually working with them, taking part in, in each step. Um, obviously, I'm not able to be there for the duration of each step, but I'm be- I've been going down uh, for the past two years and having my hands on product and taking part in things like harvesting stalks out of the field and and hanging in the barn and going back later to take stuff down out of the barn and break leaves off of the stalks, um, tying things into hands, washing the leaf, uh, getting it ready for the tobacco strippers to remove the midrib, packing it in barrels, um, turning all of the all of the really really hands-on and serious labor that is involved in producing perique, um, and all of the uh, juggling with the weather that has to happen. And so, I can I can say that everything in uh, the blend of Carolina Red Flake for this year is produced on two farms. Wow. And and some of it may have Jeremy's beard hair in it from <laughs> handling it all in Louisiana. Now, just like just like in the factory, if I'm if I'm doing stuff with tobacco, I've got I've got my beard tied up. <laughs> okay, good. Cause... Yep, I promise. Uh, wait, and, and now I gotta ask you while while you while you're down in the bayou down there yonder, ways uh, did they, uh-huh. did they ever do a crawfish boil for you? Oh yes. Oh god. All right. All right. All right. So yep. so let's suffice it to say because um, uh, we've run way long on this, but that's okay. I'm still sure. slobbering and drooling and having fun. <laughs> um, the. Uh, so I mean a lot of a lot of the process of this is sourcing the stuff and finding the stuff for it and then you know there could be I mean there could be a time down the road where we just don't have the right stuff possibly yeah, and, right. or at the same time you know if you like this year's it might be lightning in a bottle for you and you better enjoy it because next year's might be slightly different and That's you exactly may not right. like it as much, so get over it and put your big boy pants on. <laughs> um, yeah, we are. Like I say, we are. We are trying to showcase special leaf in small quantities uh, from a particular moment in time. Um, yeah. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to produce the same Carolina Red Flake uh, that that we introduced back in 2016 over and over and over again forever um i want to i want to showcase how how special and how romantic my relationship is with uh with tobacco as a crop and my experience is that i get to taste tobaccos that on paper may look exactly the same but when you put flame to them they have something special they have something that sets them apart 
And sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing. And when I find things that are really special in really beautiful ways, um, the small batch brand is an, is an opportunity for me to share those things um, with, with others. And before we go, obviously, you know, by when it goes on sale in a few hours here, uh, mm -hmm. it's ready to be smoked. Then do you have a suggestion of how long we, yeah, if we wanted to make it even better, better, how long should we let it sit in a can or? So I would, I would compare this product to, uh, something, something like say a Scudo, mm -hmm. um, and and my favorite time period for for a scudo has always been in the 15 to 20 year range um i think that i think that this blend is delicious now it does not taste like all of the tobaccos are from crop year 20. um i would not have guessed that if someone handed me a 10 and said here try this and try and guess what you know what you're smoking and when it's from, I would, I would guess that this already had a few years, not a bunch, but a few years of age on it. Um, and so I think that it's, it's basically starting from a really, really special place. Um, I would say try it in five years, try it in 10 years, um, find, find where, where you really like it. But that would be my, that would be my target personally is on that, 10 to 15 year um i'm really excited to see what it turns into and uh just a few shows ago i did a review of the uh of the 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 carolina red flake that had a couple of years on it and i was really surprised at how much it had changed literally in just like two three years so oh yeah no it yeah. it's really it's really special stuff um and and I agree with you. The 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 change that I've noticed in my tens of each iteration of Carolina Red Flake, even with just one year later, it's it's been dramatic to me how much has how much has been going on with it. And so I I can't wait at all for for those things to be in that ten to fifteen year category. Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on and doing this, and uh, thank you for. Uh... Thank you for keeping uh, keeping really good, cool tobaccos coming out all the time. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate the time you've taken with me. And I won't torture you with the fast five final questions because I'm drooling and slobbering and I need more water. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. A Savinelli pipe is a testament to a long legacy fortified by well-worn hands and destined to be enjoyed for generations. For over 150 years, Savinelli has been dedicated to sourcing the world's finest briar, committed to pushing the boundaries of pipe design, and devoted to the tradition of Italian pipe making. Savinelli is more than a mark. They're a way to help you make your mark. And like you, there can only be one Savinelli. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show in uh, three hours and four minutes until the release. I don't Okay, I'm done with that. Uh, thanks to Jeremy for joining us again. And uh, thanks for Virginia with Perique. 
All right, uh, Pastor Joda, who has uh, returned to the great state of North Carolina, sent this suggestion for music uh, about a month ago. Uh, he said uh, the uh, they're coming up on the Coltrane Jazz Festival in High Point, North Carolina, which has already passed. Thought it would be cool to toss him into the mix. I've seen pictures of him smoking a pipe. So there you go, John Coltrane. I think we've played him before, but uh, this one is uh, this one's a little more obscure. It's called Bessie's Blues. Thank you. 
listening to that just puts me in a uh, dark club with the band up on the stage, a few lights, maybe some candles on the tables, smoky room, everybody drinking uh, some sort of brown liquor in a in a rocks glass, and oh man! Oh my God! You've got mail. Yeah. And remember, if you have a comment or question, you can email it directly to me, Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at PipesMagazine.com or post it on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com. Uh, and before we get into the mailbag, uh, the Texas Pipe Show, T-E-X-A-S, PipeShow.com. That's where you want to go. Uh, find out all the information about the show coming up on November 6th, just outside of Dallas, Texas. And uh, the Slow Smoke registration is now open. There is a goodie bag full of stuff that is uh, $30. And you must participate in the contest in order to get the goodies. So you can't just pay the 30 bucks and then not smoke in it. So, <laughs> yeah, I did that once. I did. I, I paid the registration just to get the pipe and then just didn't do the contest. And I know I'm a bad person for it. But uh, TexasPipeShow.com coming up November 6th. All right, going back to a couple weeks ago, the show with Rich Esserman. Uh, Dan Locklear wrote to both me and Rich and says, uh, Dear Rich and Brian, what a Disney-worthy, picture-perfect show this one was. It offered up two extremely knowledgeable and enthusiastic hosts with the most, whose love for pipes and tobaccos literally leapt from the airwaves. What a shame that there is no pipe show, <laughs> there's no pipe show Grammy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can only wonder if there will be a sequel. Heartiest congratulations to you both with every good puffing wish, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Uh, there will be a sequel, and I may title it The Rich is Back. Yeah, The Rich is Back, but uh, I may turn the tables on them, too. And uh, Dino says regarding that show, man, Brian, that was the fastest hour and a half ever. What an amazing show. Rich was an outstanding host and you were a terrific guest. I quite frankly didn't want the show to end. I know the seasoned pipe smokers really enjoyed the conversation and I hope the newer pipe enthusiasts uh, realize what an incredibly warm and welcoming community they have embraced. Great music choice, Rich. I truly love Tony Bennett's voice and musician musicianship. And Bill Charlap is a master jazz pianist and sensitive accompanist. Thanks. Congratulations, Brian, for another milestone in radio show history. Dino, you are welcome, Dino. Uh, Autumn Fogg says, great episode. Love it. Short, sweet, to the point. Lord of the Pipe, pipe Rings, Brad says, uh, congratulations. Uh, it's been an amazing ride. He put in 10 years. It's only been nine. We're starting 10. Starting 10. Uh, very thankful for all the good times and great information the show has brought. I raise my bowl to you to another 10 years. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, sweet smokes to you, Brian and Kevin, and the entire audience. Thank you, Brad. Uh, Outlaw Canuck says, uh, happy anniversary. I'm new to the pipe smoking community five months, and I was fortunate enough to stumble upon your show very quickly. It has instantly become my favorite pastime on my hour-long commute to and from work. I'm a locomotive engineer at Canadian Pacific Railway. And when I read that, I said, that's a guy I got to know because he's got a real train whistle. Uh, yeah. Canadian Pacific Railway. Oh, uh, you can imagine my delight at having almost 10 years of catching up to do. Yeah, 470 some odd episodes. 
Uh, from novice smokers to heavy hitters in the pipe industry, your guests are all very interesting, and I enjoy their superhero origin stories as well as their varied insights into the world as it pertains to pipe smoking. Uh, Mr. Eltang has been my very favorite guest so far, at least until today when you got put into the hot seat. <laughs> Anyways, I just wanted to drop a brief line to congratulate you on the years, and here's to another 10 years and infinitely more of great entertainment. You are doing a great service to pipe smokers across the span of the globe that are fortunate enough to be able to enjoy your show. Great job, Brian, and thank you, Dave. Dave, you're welcome, and uh, oh yeah, all aboard. Um, Let My Cameron Go says, this was a great episode, great novice interview with that Brian Levine guy. I think he's probably one of those fellows who will stick around the hobby for some time. Uh, seems to have a pretty good feel for what is going on with the pipe. Blessings to you all, Nathan. Yeah, Nathan, I got to stick around because I've got a bunch of tobacco, so I've got to smoke it all. Um, you know, it might be my life goal is to finish all the tobacco. Uh, Casey Ghost says, you need to break it to people that it's your ninth anniversary, not your 10th, but nonetheless, it is a tremendous accomplishment to say the least. It was an amazing show, and Rich's advice on how to get into high ends made tremendous sense to me. Either save your dough or go the estate route. Both are excellent ways to get into high ends. I continue to marvel at Rich's ability to combine tobaccos and get something decent out of it. I'd ruin every tobacco I tried to do that with, and I must say I enjoyed uh, him interviewing you very much. For as much as I've enjoyed your Sinatra and Crosby selections over the years, I just don't like Tony Bennett artistically. Well, there you go, Dan. <laughs> uh, Casey Ghost. All right, again, comments, questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com, and uh, travel-related things. You want my opinion? Hey. You know what they say about opinions. I'm the leading expert on mine, and it may stink, too, but it's free. So just reach out to me and let me know. And in just a moment, rant time. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Cowboy. Cowboy. You uh, younger folks may not understand this, but uh, some of you will. But anyway, on this uh, on this last trip, we might have eaten. I, I might have eaten a lot and eaten a lot of things that I'm not used to, and I might have um, you know come home a little. Well, <laughs> my luggage was a little heavier, and so was I. That's all I got to say. Uh, so I was starting to look into stuff, you know, like you know, how to trim back some calories and you know get back into my comfort. <laughs> all I can fit in right now is my comfortable pants. Uh, but anyway, uh, so looking at the calorie counts on some breads and stuff, and I noticed that there's some lighter calorie breads, and we tried them, and all I can tell you is they took a normal piece of bread, and to make it half the calories, it looks like they cut it just half as thin. So <laughs> instead of it being, I don't know, a half inch thick, it's now a quarter inch thick. So now it's a lighter calorie piece of bread. No, it's not. It's a third, it's a half thinner piece of bread. 
Uh, it's not the same size bread. It's thinner and it's just lower calories. Uh, we saw the same thing over when we were overseas. We bought a box of Ritz crackers to keep in the hotel room as a snack in case we got hungry. And uh, sure enough, those were just thinner Ritz crackers. So they were lower calories per cracker because they were just thinner. So the, so here's my theory. If you want less calories, well, then eat less. Well, that doesn't make me very happy. That makes me mad. And that makes me hungry. I want to eat more and have the lower calories. So it's time to go back to the drawing board. So uh, those of you that are out there shopping for lighter caloried things, uh, make sure they're not just thinner or less of whatever it is, because that's not really less calories. That's just less stuff. And I want more stuff. All right, there you go. Uh, again, uh, comments or questions, you can email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Uh, thank you very much to Jeremy for joining me for this uh, very timely episode. Thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny All radio is dead. Which means that these tape recordings I'm making are for the sake of future history. <laughs> <laughs>